This is Kenny. And this is Mark. And this is all I want to do is talk about Madonna. We are so excited. Beyond. Today, um, we are going to take a pause from our uh, conversations this season about confessions on a dance floor to bring you this special episode. Um, if you're a Madonna fan, you have been um, abused for the last 35 years of bad biographies of Madonna. These are books that were written quickly by people who uh, built their books around gotcha moments and salacious gossip and um, often are not the um, the accurate portraits of a person that you want them to be. And this has been going on for 30 plus years. Um, I'm just grateful that Kitty Kelly uh, did not write a biography of Madonna. She didn't get around to it. Um, all of that is going to change, dear friends, because this October, Madonna, A Rebel Life, is being uh, published by Little Brown and written by the amazing Mary Gabriel. Um, and this should be of no surprise to anybody. Mary Gabriel is the author of Ninth Street Women, Lee Krasner, Elaine de Kooning, Grace Hardigan, Joan Mitchell, and Helen Frankenthaler, five painters in the movement that changed modern art, which won the 2022 NYU Axinen Foundation Prize for Narrative Nonfiction and the 2019 Library of Library of Virginia and Virginia Museum of Fine Arts Mary Lynn Coates Award. Gabriel's previous book, Love and Capital, Carl and Jenny Marks and the Birth of a Revolution, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize, the National Book Award, and the National Book Critics Circle Award. She's also the author of Notorious Victoria, The Life of Victoria Woodhall, Uncensored, and The Art of Acquiring, an amazing book, by the way, a portrait of Edda and Clara Bell Cohn. She worked in Washington and London as a Reuters editor for nearly two decades and lives in Ireland and is the author, once again, of Madonna, A Rebel Life, and is our guest today. Welcome, Mary. Welcome. Oh, thank you both so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, one of the things that we do on our show, and it, it's kind of like a biography, is is so our our show we uh, each song each episode is one song, and we mm. started at the very beginning, and we are tracing her entire career through the songs, song by song, year by year, album by album, throughout mm. haircut by haircut, haircut by haircut, <laughs> husbands and boys, all of the things, all the things, and but it's also uh, about our friendship. And it's about what's going on in cult in popular culture, what was going on in our lives at the mm. time of the of the different songs and everything. And um, so it's it's a combination of memoir and history and and um and pop culture and criticism, I think would be yeah, the yeah, exactly. Thing. Um one of the things that's so refreshing about the book, and in addition to just the sheer ambition and scope of the project, is how you allow your own perspective on Madonna and her career to evolve as the book goes on. Was there a moment in the writing or the research when you realized that you had sort of fallen under the spell of Madonna? Yes, it happened fairly early on. And I, and I have to say, when I started this, I wasn't a Madonna fan. I was, you know, I knew about her. I knew I'd worked with people, you know, who were really hardcore journalists who would get dressed up to go to a Madonna concert. And I thought, what is going on here? But so I, I kind of stashed her away in my to be reconsidered box in my brain. And when I started digging into her life, I was so shocked that this phenomenon, which you know, both know so well, um, hasn't been given the credit she deserves, you know, just based on her work, you know, the quality of her work, the impact of her work, the longevity of her career, and 
and her strength and courage. I mean, the fact that she has continued for 40 years against, you know, just a rain of shit, I have to say, from, <laughs> you know, so many quarters, it, it, it just caused me, you know, it took my breath away. So, um, so I, I did become a, I did become a, an ardent Madonna fan. And I think, you know, like anyone appreciating an artist, a great artist, you know, once that happens, it doesn't go away. Um, your previous books um, have also focused on women, women politicians like Victoria Woodhall. There's actually a musical of her life called Onward. Oh, yeah? Do you know this? No, I There's don't. A, music, a flop musical from the 70s called oh, Onward Victoria. Jill Eikenberry from L.A. Law was the star of it. Oh, that's God. where we're, we're headed. <laughs> um, art collectors like the Cone Sisters and fellow rebels like Jenny Marks and the Women Painters from 9th Street. How do you see Madonna, um, which she's really the one that's still working and alive of those of those subjects how do you see her in the pantheon of those other women mm. you've written about well all of those women um you know if they if they shared a quality all of them shared the quality of courage and and also interestingly um they were all curious so they were courageous and they were curious and they didn't accept the status quo whether it was in politics whether it was in society whether it was in art and, you know, you could call them all pioneers, basically. I bet that would be the cliche that we would use. And each of them had very, you know, obviously very different lives. Some were big, some were small. Some of them, you know, um, worked well under the radar. Some were undiscovered. And then you have Madonna, who, you know, all the world knows. So they, there is a thread there. And I think, I think that the other thing that, that drew me to her and that con connects her to my other subject is that I try to take people or stories, let's say Jenny Marx and Karl Marx or the Ninth Street women in particular, that that someone might say, why do we need another book on that? Mm. You know, does anyone need another Karl Marx book? Does anyone need to hear about abstract expressionism again? And the answer I find often is yes, because these stories are always told from one point of view. So with Karl and Jenny Marx, it was, well, two, either from the Soviet point of view or the yeah. Western point of view, and it was condemnation or adulation. Um, with Ninth Street Women, it was a, it was a guy's story. It was a tale of the macho men of of the art world, and so those stories. I, I tried to fill out the globe. You know, I, if we know this side of the story, I want to give them the other side of the moon. You know, I want to give them the whole thing. With Madonna, the story has been so facile. You know, it's been as you said in your introduction, this kind of throwaway tabloid crap. You know, mm. how, how disrespectful for an artist like her. To minimize and and disrespect the the quality and the depth of her the quality of her work and the depth of her message and the profound impact she's had. So, you know, when I started this, the question is: Does that, does the world need another book on Madonna? And the answer would be: Well, not really, but yes, in fact, it does because so far the story that's been told about her hasn't been, to my mind, the accurate story. Well, and and I think something else that's really interesting is um, it's often uh, it's these moments of salaciousness or what people remember, and they're not yes. um, remembering the context around what was happening. And yes. you're so good about placing 
for someone who seemed to be such a cultural impactor and influencer, she's also placed within a, a larger context. Right. You're constantly bringing in. I mean, I, I one of the moments I loved was when she came out and announced the that President Obama had won the election yeah. during the Sticky yeah. and Sweet tour, and I totally forgotten she had done that. And yeah. it made it made news. Everyone talked about it. It was such a beautiful moment. Yeah, yeah I mean that happens so often in the book where you position Madonna so clearly, at like the the crossroads of a, a national or, or world conversation that's happening that she becomes more than the lightning rod but the one taking action yes. that we have to make a decision about right um, which makes her obviously polarizing but also like continually fascinating and and surprisingly though people still look at it and, and disregard or say right. this is silly or light or frothy or she's right. doing it for attention which yeah. you know your book makes such a great case of like no there's obviously not you know I yeah mean, there's well, moments when so, she does sorry go ahead, please yes. no I, I mean i think it's so funny that idea that oh she's just doing this for attention well she's getting attention i mean the attention isn't coming she's not calling it up she's not paying people they're writing about her so what all these people who are complaining about the attention she's getting are actually drawing attention to her. So it, it's, it's a crazy kind of coverage, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, and part of her genius, I think, is recognizing that really, yeah. but also that it is, you know, and so many people talk about this who have had experiences with her, that she's so instinctual and that it's not necessarily, it's not calculation. It's right. where her gut tells her to go. So she's not trying to make the conversation. She's just living her life, making the choice. Yeah, That's it. And I think that's really a such an important point about her because there's an honesty about her and her life, which I think is one of her great, the thing that really appeals to her fans. And she's, for all of her superstardom, mega stardom, you know, domination of the world, she's just a normal person. She's an individual struggling like everybody else, trying to find her way and make her way. And she's got that big sister quality, you know, where if she mm -hmm. sees something's going wrong, she'll point it out, but it's not to make a grand statement. I mean, sometimes she has, like when she did that, that, um, press conference in Rome when the Vatican yeah. tried to shut down blonde ambition, gonna, yeah. you know, that was a pointed statement, but oftentimes she's just saying, Hey, wait a minute, you know, look at this or look at it this way. Um, so I think that that's really fascinating. And, and so it's, it's a quality she has that people, her fans recognize, but her critics see it as kind of weakness, you know, because she's not behind a podium and making a, a huge statement. Now, if she did do that, they would say, Oh, she's trying to be political. It isn't that horrible. The other thing is, is that pop stars, I, I write about this, pop stars aren't supposed to have any kind of opinions. They're just supposed to get out, entertain, do a little dance, jiggle a little bit and go <laughs> away. And that's never been hers. You know, she does all of those things, but she also has a point. And women pop stars in particular, forget about it. You are not supposed to venture into the area of politics race, sexuality, unless it's sexuality to, you know, a titillate a heterosexual man. Mm. And so Madonna violated all those norms. And and as you said, she didn't do it to make a statement. She just did it because that's who she is. I love that quote. I, the hair stood on my, when I, I got to it in the book, when she distinct, um, made the distinction, she's not a pop star, she's a performance artist. Yeah. And I was like, that's if if there yeah. was one line in this book that is like Madonna, it's that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, 
can you talk us through a little bit of the process of tackling such a huge mm. subject? Like, how do you research or how do you work? Do you have a team of people you work oh, with? Oh, no. Yeah. No, it's just me. It's, I, I mean, I, wow. unfortunately, unfortunately, I can't, I can't farm stuff out because I have to learn as I'm going, you know, and, and I, and I guess I'm, I just don't trust anyone else to learn for me. So, um, so with this one, it was kind of difficult because, you know, as you say, it was, she was my first living subject. And I thought, oh, wow, I made a wish list of all the people I wanted to interview. And of course, none of them wanted to talk to me. And so then I thought, okay, do I write a book or do I not write a book? And the, originally it was supposed to be timed to come out before her 65th birthday. That was kind of the, you know, no one knew about her celebration tour or anything. Yeah. Um, and so I had a, I had the clock was ticking, so I had to try to find another way to work, which is in fact the way I always work. I treated her as a historical figure, so I went back, and there is so much material. I went back yeah. into from the start of her life, anything I could find written about her, said by her, said of her, you know, and anybody who I could talk to or who would speak to me, and it took a long damn time. I passed through probably about three deadlines easily before, you know, I actually came up with this. Um, luckily, at my editor, Asya Muchnik, is a saint. So I, <laughs> I was very, very lucky in that way. But um, so so I just read everything I possibly could, can, get all of these voices in my head telling me the story. And I think one thing that's really important for me as a writer, and maybe hopefully you pick up on it in a, as a reader, and I think you mentioned this, um, I try to use quotes that are only that are said at the time. Mm -hmm. So let's say Madonna talking in 1984 or 1983 is a heck of a lot different than Madonna talking today. You know, she's so she doesn't know that people actually care what she has to say. So she says anything. And um, so I, I try to allow her voice to evolve through the book so that you grow up with her, you grew up alongside her and, and likewise the people around her. So if I can keep things in the moment, if if Pat Leonard is talking about her at the time, that's so valuable. And if I have to use a quote he gives later, then I'll say years later, he said, um, because, you know, we all change our opinion as the years go by, because in 1984, no one knew what was going to happen to Madonna. But if you're talking about her in 19, in 2000, 2023, wherever we are, you know, the, the arc of her life. So you're, yeah. you're, what you say is going to be affected by that. So, so I try to allow the reader and me as the writer to kind of travel that journey along with her. Well, and, and so because because what I loved about the book, uh, one of the things was you you were able the people you did talk to you were able to get new things out of because so many people have spent. I mean, you know, I know you didn't get Erica Bell, but Erica Bell has said the same things for th yeah. you know thirty years uh, and yeah. the same things, and yeah. so it was like it was so interesting to get new thoughts and quotes from some of these people who have given so many interviews over the years and some some have made like a cottage industry about talking yes. about Madonna and I thought mm -hmm. that that was really interesting did you go to Michigan did I you did yeah that's where I started I, I when I do these books I have a I have a there's a travel schedule you know and like with Marx I went to Moscow and Cologne and Paris and, and with the Cone sisters I followed their path yeah. of collecting through Europe with Madonna I started in Michigan and um and I, and I met her brother Christopher there and he was really wonderful. He was really helpful and gave me this really great insight into the family. And in fact, I spoke with him about five times. So once again, I could talk to him about, you know, all of the periods, but 
But um, and then I spoke to some local historians who were really great in Pontiac, and I talked to people at the University of Michigan, um, and I talked to her friends from the University of Michigan, and so that was really wonderful. Then my next stop was Miami, which I should have gone to New York and then Los Angeles if I was going to do it chronologically. But Miami has been so neglected in her story, and it's so important. I mean, the '90s are Madonna in Miami, you know, yes. and it's fantastic. So I wanted to go there and get that, hear about that, and put myself there. Oh, Mary, yeah. you just opened up a can of worms. Oh. I've been throwing shit. <laughs> Kenny is from Miami, and oh, I've been throwing go. shade on Miami for yeah. four years. Well, yeah, oh, I, I mean, I'm so chagrined. <laughs> oh, please, you love the Miami time. Shit. I do. I love Miami. But when on the show we talk about when we talk about the erotica era yeah. and her time in Miami, I talk about that I lived really close to her house on Millionaires oh. Row, and I used yes. to jog over there every day to see if yeah. she was home and um and then sort of had some close encounters with her but that i think that that period of influence and what that also the societal shift or the cultural shift right. to miami and all the people that were there working and creating in that energy exactly. was so important to her career and really so important yeah so i love that you did that yeah um, I also loved, I really loved in the beginning hearing all about her at college because that's a part that we never get to hear about. Yeah. Even though it was a short period. We always hear, oh, she was there and then she left. But to hear about all that and her friends there and then that she went to New York for that summer, which I never yes. knew before. So interesting. It's a really mysterious period. And I it made me nervous writing about it because it's only been written about in Andrew Morton's book of, Ma of Madonna. Um, yeah. He's the only one who got to that Mark Dolongowski and I tried getting you know, a quote from him every which way, but it was impossible. Um, but it makes sense because Madonna talks about at one point, you know, after I got a taste of New York, I had to go back there. And so, and when you think about New York, she went to that summer, you know, that crazy son of Sam, the yeah. blackout, the Puerto Rican nationals blowing the joint up, the crime wave. She was so focused on becoming a dancer and being in love with that town that she didn't notice any of that, which is so yeah. great in a way. But Michigan, I think you're right, is so fascinating that because people who don't know what the University of Michigan is, just think of it as some big college town school in the north, you know, north, central, north Minnesota, I mean, not Minnesota, central United States. And yet it was a hub of radicalism, both artistic and political. And you know, it was the Berkeley of the Midwest. Yeah. And um, and that's where she kind of found her way. So I think it was, I thought it was really important to stress that because the thing about Madonna is that she's a sponge. You know, like all great artists are, they're sponges. They impact people, but they're impacted by their environments. Wherever she was, Pontiac, um, Rochester, Detroit, uh, Michigan, or Ann Arbor, New York, Miami, Los Angeles, London, Lisbon, it all became part of her and part of her work. And so she absorbs it and then spits it back out in some form. And so I thought that that was really important to um, to try to place her geographically. Also, that was really interesting that Lourdes went to University of Michigan. Yeah. I thought that was a good briefly. kind of a yeah. well, briefly, <laughs> but but it was kind of telling that Madonna was like, you should go. Yeah. yeah. And it probably showed or, or what what was important to Madonna about right. that time. Very interesting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm assuming one of the biggest challenges of writing the book was getting the quotes or getting people to talk to you. Was mm -hmm. there was there someone that you were determined to get that you got that you were like, oh my gosh, I I got the person that, or was there somebody very pivotal that you? 
Oh, so I really, I mean, there were so many who were so generous and great. Um, I mean, Christopher was really great. And, but, you know, the whole Blonde Ambition crew was wonderful. Yeah. You know, they, those, that bunch, I mean, I, I watched that concert over and over, you know, and Truth or Dare over and over. It was just so, yeah. so, such a monumental production and such an empowerful moment and so much fun and so great. Um, and then, um, I mean, really, I, I can't say there was one person, and it probably there was, but I'm blanking out, and I'll, you know, after I leave you two, I'll remember it. But it was just really the combination. And and Madonna herself, I tried to use her voice as much as possible. I couldn't speak with her, but luckily for us, you know, she has been talking for 40 years. <laughs> and and so, you know, I had more material than I could yeah. possibly ever use. In fact, when this first book, when I first turned it in, it was 1,500 pages long. Oh. Yeah, unbelievable. So We'll read that. Oh, yeah. I thought every moment was important. But I'm going to need to go to a chiropractor. I've had yeah. that book in my back. Exactly. Like, exactly. But she, you know, she, there was so much for her of, that I wanted her to say. And I think that that came, I, so I would say, actually, she's probably the one, mm. you know, who yeah. I most, most appreciated. Well, we, I mean, we understand that because when we're doing, when we're going through our seasons and we look at like, okay, let's pull all the interviews that we can to look at, to think of, because we place quotes of hers into the episodes. And when we got to this season, which we're in now, which is 2005 to 2010, we were like, do we need to watch every single hung up promo interview? She yeah. talked to everybody that would listen to her. Yeah. I was like, oh, now we're in Turkey doing yeah, an interview. But you, you never know because there's that one interview where exactly. she says one thing and that's a new thing or somebody got something out of her. Um, speaking of that time period, I wondered if we're going to spend a little time, if it's okay with you, to just talk yeah. about that 2005, 2010 era and mm -hmm. um, a time that you paint is a really significant pivot in Madonna's career. And we're looking at it that way as well and, and in her trajectory. Can you talk a little bit about that time that's sort of like confessions into yeah, hard candy? candy. Yeah. 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 I mean, when you think about that period of Madonna's life, artistically, she had just come off of you know, a string of unbelievable albums, you know, starting with, you want to start with Ray of Light, I would start with Erotica, but, you know, just an unbelievable number of great albums. And Confessions on a Dance Floor was an explosion. You know, that was Madonna, who she used to be in the 90s, in the 80s, who she became in the 90s, and who she was in the 2000s. It was kind of the culmination of her career, I felt in some ways. And Stuart Price was the perfect counterpoint. You know, those two together were great. But she was she had that obligation with warner brothers to do another album and at that moment she probably would have if she had been given a chance she probably would have decked out for a while because her life was coming unraveled she was trying to adopt david that was turning into a, a hideous Sorry, nightmare probably the most i i would think arguably that was the most difficult public moment of her career you know it used to be the sex book but i think when when that whole thing she was so wounded by that for being so misinterpreted um, uh, and, it, and it just showed society to be so ugly and racist. But anyway, so so that was one part of it. Her marriage was coming unraveled. You know, her career was going like a rocket ship and Guy Ritchie's was kind of hanging in the back and he was trying to place himself in her world. Um, and then she started getting interested in film, you know, wanting to maybe do Filth and Wisdom. So, so she had all of these cross currents going on and then she had to come up with a new album. 
And she was thinking about maybe she wanted to move back to the United States after having been in Europe and working with European people for so long. So hard candy was the result. And I know that, um, I mean, I, I hate to ever criticize an artist because any artwork is the result of hours, years, hours, months, years of labor. And you don't know as the outsider what went into it. And so with that caveat, I can say that out of all of Madonna's albums, my least favorite was Hard Candy because I felt like she was, she wasn't there, you know, and, and, you know, for good reason. She had so many things going on and, uh, and the people she chose to work with, I felt didn't understand her at all. You know, the young guys at Timberlake, Timberland, the Farrell Williams, you know, they didn't, I didn't feel like they connected with her at all. And so the album that came out of that, to my mind, and I know there are a lot of people who love it and, you know, that's great. And in fact, I was happy to be able to listen to it again because I knew you wanted to talk about it. And so I, I sat down, I thought, well, maybe I'm going to listen this time and really like it. And it didn't happen. It's, <laughs> it, there's a, there's a monotony to it and kind of a formula. And it was if, it was if those guys took what they would have done anyway and just plugged Madonna into it. Yeah. And even her lyrics were somehow lost, you know, the poignancy of songs like Miles Away, mm. which was so sad, you know, you know, we've all been in breakups and you see it happening and you know, it's inevitable, but you know, you wish that maybe, um, or, or, or even incredible, you know, there's some songs on that album that just make you want to cry. And if, it, if she had worked with another producer and if she, in fact, I think it had more in the production, I think, I think she was kind of MIA on the production side of that album too. Um, I think we would have had a really remarkable album. You know, if Like a Prayer was her first divorce album, Hard Candy might have been her second, but it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I concur. I think that that string, that little suite of songs that you talked about, Miles Away, She's Not Me, and Incredible, are yeah. sort of, and then I'd say Devil Wouldn't Recognize You. Yes. And Voices, sort of, those five, to me, are are the album that, are the the kernels of an album that could have been this really heartbreaking piece but exactly she but you but i think that's what and reading your book was so interesting because it was really the first time i could see so clearly the dissonance between her personal life and what she was experiencing on the ground and the image she was projecting yeah and i thought then that too that the album cover then in a way is sort of like i'm putting all my armor on Right. Yeah, you know, and you're not going to see me. She played. She went right into character, and even though I think Confessions is character too, um, it was so much closer to a character we all right. understood. You know, um, and I love too when you talked about Confessions about how it was this moment that she and you talk about this when we go back to um, what it feels like for a girl, and then um, swept away about mm -hmm. how. And we'll talk about Guy in a second, um, about how Guy may have, you know, the, the sort of taking the context away mm -hmm. from those left her without a voice or a perspective on, mm -hmm. especially on what it feels like for a girl, which was her own piece, you know, mm -hmm. which had the lyrics to that were so important to her. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. And so that when, when Confessions came up and it was sort of like, I can't take it anymore. I just got to be my full self. Yes. You know, in a way that was sort of like, that was this turning point, I think, in that relationship too. Yeah, where I do too. I mean, mm -hmm. the fact that she says that he hated that album, I can see why he hated it because it has nothing to do with, you know, a yeah. young, yeah, him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's not a dancer. I'm quite sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just felt like, I mean, that album was so damn good, you know, just yeah. Yeah. wild Madonna coming out of the box and then to go, 
with hard candy, you know, on the on the cover, as you say, the first, you know, the front of it has that I'm a fighter, but the back of it is so great where she's kind of weary. You yeah. know, she's hunched over and she's got her head hanging. I wish that had been the cover because oh. that's who she really was at that moment. Yeah. You know, yeah. she was she was tired. She's well, been fighting too long. And what was interesting, so the album was so was so lackluster, but um, and we haven't started talking about it, so oh boy. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, she spent so much time touring it. I mean, the Sticky yeah. and Sweet tour was her longest tour. She exactly. did three legs of it. Do you think it helped? Uh, why do you think that she went? Was it Madonna doubling down and being like, okay, nobody likes this record. I'm going to prove them wrong. And do you think she succeeded in doing that over the? 16 months she was on the road with it. I think it was a combination of things. I think it was partly that, you know, like she did the same with American Life. She wasn't going to give up on it. You know, people didn't like it. She'd just take it to them another way, which is good because, you know, she's passionate about what she does. And then I thought, in fact, the rework of the Hard Candy songs in Sticky and Sweet were really good. I thought she did an excellent job. They became Madonna songs. But I think it was partly Live Nation because that was her first Live Nation tour. And, you know, it was all about the money for them. You yeah. know, they, it's eight, she, I think Confessions, she had 60 dates or something like that. You probably know. Mm-hmm. And I think Sticky and Sweet, there were 85, you know. Yeah. So that's a big jump. And as you say, it was split into two parts over two years. Crazy. So I think it was partly Madonna representing or reintroducing this work. But also, I think it's the demands of Live Nation because Live Nation was a machine, you know, it's a conglomerate. And, you know, it was, I, I often thought at that time when she joined them, and it was a it was a bold move and it was an innovative move. And in that way, it's interesting. But it kind of reminded me of of the Versace story, you know, when, mm. when Donatella was trying to keep the Versace fashion line, a boutique house, you know, yeah. the family house. But, you know, all of these major companies were coming and you had to join to survive, you had to join. And I felt like Madonna had gotten to that point. The music business had changed so much. Records weren't doing it. You couldn't sell records. You had to, you know, become a a full-time entertainer. And I think that's what that tour was about. Do, do you think, it's so funny you bring up Live Nation because I, I wanted to ask you about because that that was, the way you frame it in the book is so interesting. And it was at that time she was considered an art, she was being an artist for the future be, right. by doing this deal and doing this multi-year. Um, do you think that that succeeded in terms of, is that the way that it it actually, because I, I felt as the years went on, Madonna felt m- more and more enslaved by it because she was on that moment, the monotonous tour, album tour, album at tour. Um, but it also branched out into the gyms and the skin, all the different other things. Um, do you think, because now everyone has so many different, all artists have so many different things they're doing. Do you think it was as impactful as, to the to the industry as as they hoped it would be. I think it was. I mean, I think it changed everything. I one of the things that I I just couldn't believe when I was doing research for this book. I was in London and I was I wanted to go to the Brixton Academy to take a look just physically so I could describe what I'd never been in there. Mm. And it's owned by one of the offshoots of Live Nation and they wouldn't let me in. I mean, I could have bought a <laughs> ticket and gone to some heavy metal show that night, but Thought, this is ridiculous. You're not going to allow me to go in and look at this theater, historic theater, to see what it looks like. And I mean, the tight control 
that they have. If, if it, if it goes, if it, if I was affected by it at that level, you can imagine what the artist is. And I mean, I'm sure Madonna is strong enough as an artist, as an individual to fight back if she felt she needed to in order to do the work she needed to do. But I have to think that it changed everything. And that sticky and sweet tour, you know, that was the one where she, she just kind of lost control of the operation. It became so huge. The staff was complaining about pay and accommodations. I mean, that never happened before. She would take care of people. You know, that there was, there was a fatal accident yeah, in Marseille, accident. you know. Yeah. So I think it changed everything. And then this, this, these disparate obligations she had. William Orbit talked about that when it came to her next album, MDNA, that he thought she couldn't do the album she should have had that they had together because she had so many obligations. So I think, you know, that's what corporations do. Yeah, I remember that interview because he talks about how Falling Free is such a and is such a gorgeous song and that her voice was in the right place and she had all the ideas and then she just couldn't get to it. She couldn't be there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's so interesting, this sort of we we're gonna talk about this more, this battle or this thing that happens with Madonna between the artistry and and commerce mm -hmm. and the sort of you know, you point to so many places in the book, and I love the one in, I think it's around like a, yeah, it's like a virgin where she goes and fights with the head of the label to get, make sure that everybody gets, um, um, what's his name gets paid, excuse me, um, the producer. Nile Rogers. Nile yeah. Rogers, yeah. yeah. That Nile Rogers gets the appropriate amount, you know, and yeah. that she really can stand up. But then when she comes into this corporation, maybe it's because her life is sort of, all over the place that she really doesn't have the ability to handle it. And it's so big that where does yeah, she go? Exactly. It's not personal anymore. Well, yeah. and, and it, and it kind of keeps going because I remember when the, when the Madame X swag arrived in New York, it was this huge deal. And it was at the live nation records, the, their, their right. offices down in, in meatpacking district. And I remember going down there and they had like transformed the lobby and it was so cold and it was it was like yeah. they had like set up yeah. a, a Madonna booth in the, like yeah. it was so not a warm, like exciting. Yeah. It felt very kind of craven. You know, I think that's one of the things that happened that the, the fun and I noticed this with hard candy, the fun went out of out of Madonna, you know, that, um, you know, she always did events and they were wild and, you know, her her post-sex and post-erotica party yeah, in New York yeah. in the meatpacking district, her pajama party at Webster Hall for bedtime stories. It was crazy. You know, it was fun. You never knew what to expect. And it was a always a great launch. And as soon as a corporation took over, I kind of think she stepped away from that kind of stuff. And so that part of her that's so endearing, the irony, the fun, the, you know, the, the warmth, you say, the intimacy is gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that—that that is one of the things that I wanted to talk about. I have a—you're um, very diplomatic in the book about Guy Ritchie and her marriage. Um, I don't have to be because I didn't write the book, <laughs> and I, I always blame everything on Guy. But um, <laughs> it's such an issue, Mary. You know, I'm like, he's like, can we talk about Guy? I'm like, no, we can't talk about Guy today. But Poor I guy. think one of the quotes that's in the book that um, really struck me was when he talks about like, oh, it was really really fun for a while and then yeah. it got serious and she got serious, which is similar to what you're saying yeah. about this mm -hmm. time and that it really, I still blame everything on Guy, but it really positioned it, you know, this is obviously a much more nuanced thing than, you know, there's a good and a bad person. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, like, do they, you know, um, how do you think Guy colored 
you know, their relationship colored this period? Like, did it, you know, would Madonna's creative work shifted if they had stayed together or would it, was it really impossible for them to stay together? You know, I, I just, I, I couldn't get into, I mean, I, there was no one authoritative who could tell me what was going on there. And really, probably if you ask Madonna, she'd tell you one story. And if you ask Guy Ritchie, you tell them. Um, and then there were all the whisperers on the side. Yeah. And you don't know, you know, who, what, well, you know what camp they're in, but what their motivation is. So, so it's a really difficult, um, question. But I think, I think that, you know, it's a, it's a problem that women artists have much more than male artists have that if you, if you want to do your work and you love your work and you happen to have a, a husband who's, as she says, not a, you know, highly evolved individual, you know, she says you'd have to be really highly evolved to want to be a trailer bitch and follow, you know, her around yeah. the world. Um, I think you're just going to run. I think it's not going to work. You know, you've got to have somebody who her dream was always to find somebody who was so busy with their own work that she could respect them. He could respect her. They could go off, do their thing, come back together. It would be a great reunion. They tell each other what had happened, but that's fantasy land because with Guy Ritchie, his career when they started out, he was on top of the world and he quickly, you know, slid. Yeah. And so that must have been, you know, he's, I don't know the guy, but I mean, from what the quotes I read and, you know, what I've, the interactions I've seen, he's a man with an ego, you know, like who isn't, but but it's like a macho ego. And I cannot imagine in a million years that he could have handled that. Now his friends say, you know, oh, he's a wonderful guy and he was taking so much shit. And I'm sure that's true. I could not have been easy. It could not have, but they came from such different places to begin with. It just happened at the moment they met. Um, they were, they were at a place where they could appreciate each other. They were both high and happy and wild. And that didn't last. And I mean, Nikki, Harris said, even um, during the Drowned World Tour, it was evident that that wasn't working anymore. So that was really early on. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I can imagine it would be really difficult for a guy, a normal guy, to not even that guy, but any guy to, you know, be married to Madonna. It's as simple as that. And so... I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say what would have happened, but I just don't see that it, it could have lasted. Mm. That's sad. That makes me sad. Yeah, it is sad. It yeah, is sad. It is it's sad. very sad. It's very sad. But I'm telling you, because all the women I've written about, every single one, it's they've had failed relationships because it's just difficult. Women are meant, you know, traditionally, the creativity in a woman's life is meant to be taking care of their family and their children and their husband yeah. and the whole home. And if you take that same energy and you put it in your work, then the people you're supposed to be taking care of feel neglected. And it's it's a very nuanced thing, but uh, but it's it happens so often, and it's a big decision for for women artists. Should I have children? Should I get married? Because they know instinctively, you know, it's going to be a headache. I think that always reminds me of Lee Krasner and her yeah. decision. Like, we are not having children. We are not. I'm. I have enough problems with you. Like that. Like unless you have someone who is really because she seems to be much more of a pragmatic mm -hmm. versus an, an optimist, the way Madonna mm -hmm. is. Yeah, I mean, I think that you point to that in the book that she's like, I want to have all of that. Why can't right. I do all of that? Right. Um, <clears throat> which becomes really challenging, and still, I think, is very challenging for her. It I is. Think. Yeah. 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 
So the book is called Madonna, A Rebel Life. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why that title and why you gave it that A Rebel Life specifically. Mm. Well, originally it was called Madonna, A Feminist Life because mm. I was really going for the woman angle, you know, the what she's done for women. But it was the story was so much bigger than that. You know, that's that's part one, you know, then mm. part two. So her first underground that she discovered you know, were these young women and girls in suburbia everywhere who were dying to be something, who were dying to express themselves and didn't know how to. And she she came along and said, well, this is how you do it, you know. Um, and she created, you know, the whole wannabe thing. The second group was, you know, her, her young gay men who she embraced with a fervor through the whole true, I think it really, I, I mean, I don't know, you guys tell me, but to me it started with um, really true blue, you know, that 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 album, I think she started shifting because of Martin Burgoyne and because of what was happening with AIDS. I think she started shifting the focus of her message to gay men. Yeah. And so that opened, you know, a whole new, so I could no longer call it a feminist tale. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then it became, and then, you know, each aspect of her life, um, she was always embracing a new group. And in fact, you know, we haven't even talked about her, her, position on racism, you know, yeah. the fact that throughout her life, she has been an advocate for people who've been neglected, you know, because of their sex, their race, their ethnicity, um, and, and, and bringing them into their, her work from the very start. So that was one of the other things about her early, early work. I remember in the a Virgin tour, which that was when she did with Shabadoo, I think. Yeah. Uh, no, Shabadoo. Yeah. Uh, who's was that in, who's, who's that girl? girl? Okay. Who's yeah. that girl? I remember she kissed him yeah. and, you know, for a white woman to kiss a black guy on stage in those days and really us, I think it was so fast that nobody noticed it, but that was a big statement. I mean, in some parts of the country, interracial marriage was still illegal, yeah. you know, and, and generally frowned upon right up until 1991, people still thought one out of five Americans thought it should be illegal. No, not even interracial marriage interracial sexual relations. So so she was way out there on race. And also um, her philanthropy and her politics, you know, she has been a voice and a and a and a financial force internationally uh, for so many John Trodden people. So so it got to the point where, you know, pigeonholing her as a feminist wasn't going to tell the story. So it became a rebel because that is in fact what she is. Yeah. Yeah, you. I, 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 I love the section where you talk about the burning of the the disco records, yeah, and that a football game, and that that to me also. Then I, I really could see how you position the book because I was thinking, oh yeah, right. The first were the wannabes. Even though I think us as young gay men, I know I was at home at eleven or twelve buying the bracelets, doing the stuff, but it was yeah. much more secret. It was I, I, I could tell there was code that she was speaking to me, but mm -hmm. it wasn't direct or intentional mm -hmm. necessarily. And then mm -hmm. she really gave this intention. And as the book was going on, I thought, oh, she is the voice of everybody but white straight men. And exactly. that's the that's sort of the opposition that she faces in the culture. Exactly. And gives her so much freedom actually to be able to you know, and I, I think it's all, again, really inherent to her. It's not that she's standing with people to, you know, um, get a larger market share. She is deeply connected to groups who have been disenfranchised for 
for myriad reasons, including just how she feels inside of herself, you know? You are but, absolutely right. Yeah, that is 100% it. You know, she had no, she had no notion of racism because, I mean, in her personality, she knew it existed because she grew up in Pontiac, yeah. mixed race neighborhood. All of her friends were mixed race. When she moved to New York, or she lived in a gay community. You know, that those were her best friends. That's who she tried her stuff out on. That's who she got, drew inspiration from. Um, you know, so there was never, as you're saying, it was never a statement, now I'm going to adopt, you know, yeah. the black people, or now I'm going to adopt the gay people. This is just who she is, you know, to her core. That's just where she came from and that's who she is. And so it wasn't something she chose to do. It was just natural. One of the things we were we were we were kind of going through as I was reading the book, um, Madonna really disdains um, capstone events. She doesn't like doing things that are kind of like this is an ending or this is going to put me up on a shelf. And yet she's participated in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction, yeah. the Billboard, you know, Woman of the Year, um, the Grammys. She loved winning Grammys and all of these things. But why do you think we're so resistant to give her the culture's resistant to give her her loyal, laurels? Because I feel like every time one of those events happen, it's like she's starting over from scratch and like, wow, they're giving Madonna an award. And yeah. it's like, but hasn't she earned many, many more? Do you know what I mean? Like, I do. Why know. do you think we're so resistant to that? I think, you know, she always says that, you know, it's, it's a matter of jealousy. You know, she has too much. I mean, she, and also, you know, back to the heterosexual man who's left out of her, you know, her <laughs> messaging. I think from the very start, when she first started, she, they, that young group, that MTV group and those record executives saw her and thought, wow, you know, this is the, this is the face of women in music. Now we can go back to being hot babes. And then they realized too late that that's not who she was at all. And that she wasn't singing to them. She was singing to her and she was singing to you. And so I think that they never forgave her. You know, like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, that was a timing thing. I think it's 25 years after your first record, you yeah. can be inducted. But with the Grammys, I really think that was the case. People, the record industry was just pissed. She she did it her way. She didn't need the boys. She And she did marvelously well. And so why reward her? You know, where's the reward there? So I it was always shocking when I when I realized that what did she, what, it was Ray of Light when she first Ray got her Ray of Light big, was when she yeah, first got yeah. a major. And I mean, that I think was she 15 won, years. She won like a, a video award for like Blonde Ambition or one of the trips. Yes, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, but right. right. Was like, but for her music, yes, that was the that first was, for her music, yeah. And, and it was so shocking. Award. But you're right, When whenever, whenever she's awarded one of these things, it's kind of, it feels token, but at the same time, it's so well-deserved. So it is, it is confusing. And she says she doesn't care about awards. And I truly believe she doesn't because at this point, on the other hand, there's got to be part of her that does want that kind of recognition. And when she did the billboard speech, one of the things that's actually one of the reasons why I chose her, because I was looking for, I wanted to do women artists again, but I didn't want to do visual artists because I thought I'd repeat myself. And so when I, so I was looking for other art forms. And when I came across her billboard speech, I thought, wow, you know, this is the time for me to reevaluate Madonna. And then when I looked at that, that award had been given out for, I think, a decade already. And it had gone to people who, you know, we all still know their names, but believe, you know, they had nothing like the impact she has. 
And it took a long time for her to even be recognized as woman of the year by Billboard. Yeah. So, so that's just the story of her life. She said that, in fact, she said, I've always had to work hard. That's just the way it is, you know? And well, that's and the... Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that's something I loved particular. That's what hooked me on the book in the, in the first, like first third of it was you, the, the, just the drudgery of hard work that she does when she's first moving to New York, when she's first trying to get the breakfast club gigs, when she's doing Emmy and, and, and you know, it, the, it, you, you show just the day to day, drudgery of hard work that she continues to do. And I love that. That's kind of almost like there's like a pulse in the book of, oh, more work, 17 mm -hmm. hour days, this, mm -hmm. this, this. And that continues. And I mean, I think I think sometimes she's resistant to sit back and enjoy her laurels because she's got to go back to work. Yeah. I mean, she loves to work. And I think that's in a very American quality that I I'm surprised more people don't recognize in her like she's a hardworking girl from Michigan yeah and I think that that's like why what's so scary about that yeah. you know yeah well I mean I think in the book when she when you point to the moment where she finally meets Freddie DeMann and he becomes her manager and she's like I have three problems <laughs> and yeah. she has five and she has seven and it's like another kind of artist who didn't under who didn't wouldn't have worked so hard oh i have a manager they're going to take care of everything now where she's like now that i have a manager we can speed up yeah we can do more you know mm -hmm. yeah. and you can see her do that over and over again in her career yeah that was part of the problem the difficulty i had in writing this book was she just did so much i mean i really didn't even do justice to i would say half of what she's actually accomplished there could be a madonna in fashion book there could mm. be a Madonna music book. There could be a Madonna in film and video book. And, um, you know, I often thought, my God, I thought Karl Marx was difficult. Madonna is much more difficult <laughs> because <laughs> she just did so much. We felt the same. I mean, we've hit this moment while working on this podcast. Where we're like, oh, my gosh, just thinking about it exhausts Exhausting. us. Exhausting. Yeah. I know. <laughs> the idea of doing the MDNA album and all those extra songs. I'm just yeah. like. Oh my God, Kenny. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we're thinking a lot about like, you know, um, you wrote this biography of her. We know that she's been working on a film as sort of an autobiography. And I wonder, you know, and there's been a lot of pushback to that. Right. And why do you, why do this culture try to deny a woman the right to tell her own story? Like, I think probably, I mean, I, from what I read, what she said is that she wanted to make the story gritty and paramount. I think that's what it is, you know, didn't want that. And I can understand that completely because her story is gritty. As you say, yeah. it's about being really poor and poor isn't pretty. You know, poor doesn't smell good. You're, you're dirty. You don't know what you look like. You're dealing with horrible situations. And I'm sure knowing her, she would want to be as honest as possible. And, and, you know, if you're creating a myth about a performer like Madonna, then that myth is glossy. You know, it's, it's a Taylor Swift concert, bless her heart. You know, everything is easy and clean and everybody's happy. And, but that's not Madonna's experience. And so I think that that's probably it. I mean, we're just not prepared to learn the truth about a woman. You know, it's mm -hmm. as simple as that. 
One of our our favorite episodes we ever did was we when we did Nothing Really Matters. We talked about the Madonna um, taking Rupert Everett, that MTV special where ah. she took Rupert Everett around to her old digs. And you realize it was the first time we'd seen some of these places. And, you know, both of us live in New York, but like that, that hotel on the Upper East Side that she yeah. lived in. Yeah. And you just see how dangerous, the, the, how thin the doors were, how small the room was. And this is like 20 years later. Or imagine what it was like before it was renovated yeah. and it, it's like startling and it, it was such a shock so I, I imagine they were like oh I don't know well we even I mean and, and to your point too about not being ready to hear a woman tell this story I mean even when she goes into the deli and there's the guy who's like I have naked pictures of you and I can sell them and she's like well then fucking sell them I don't give a shit but the fact <laughs> yeah. that he felt that he could come up to her and right. say this and yeah. like was like still our culture hasn't caught up to this idea yeah I know I know isn't that true you know it's funny when you mentioned that hotel she was moved there because it was a safer place than where she right. had been living so I mean that was that was a move up so you can imagine how bad where she'd been living previously was. Oh, and that moment when she woke up to the ring of fire. Mary, yeah. that's oh the I was like, oh, Madonna, yeah. she's got yeah. a ring of fire. Yeah. A Johnny Cash moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also love just going back, really, this isn't in our notes, but when we were talking about her first manager, when she came back, um, the woman, Maripol, Camille really wanted her to be rock and roll star. Right. And then before that, she was in France and she was like going to be like little. And it's funny to me that I'm first of all, it was so fascinating to see how she rejects and rejects and she pushes yes. away, which is such a thing like as an artist ourselves that we've been confronted. And I'm sure you have, too, where you hit these moments where you don't push back or you don't feel like you can. And that, mm -hmm. that sense is so, I think that's one of the things that keeps me inspired by her is that mm -hmm. moxie and, and clarity. But mm -hmm. I thought also what's interesting is that they, none of them were really wrong. Ultimately she is all of those things. She mm -hmm. just wasn't one of them. Right. And I loved thinking like when I was thinking about, we just did, I love New York and how that is, there is the rock and roll, you know, the rock and roll diva the, the, that, yeah, that the Joan Jett that she yeah. always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. um, you know, that song though, I think, I think, and this is something I have no proof and this is just me being a crackpot. Bring but, it, you know, Mary. Okay. <laughs> we love you know, these. She said that, um, she once said that Guy Ritchie hated New York. Yeah. And this was oh, when yeah. she was having trouble with it. So I think this song was to, you know, for him. I oh, love yeah. New York. Yeah. Well, the demo, you know, is I love New York. I don't love you, but I, I love, love New York. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'll take that as part of the, the oh, yeah. anti guy yeah. that I have going on. Maybe we'll get that on the celebration tour, the original version. <laughs> um, so to go back to the music, uh, Madonna's place in the pantheon of music from the early 60s girl groups of uh, her youth to the Portuguese folk and traditional music of Madame X is a particular theme in the book. You're always tracking what she's listening to, what yeah. she's influenced by. Um, who did you listen to as a young I, girl? And, oh. and who excites you as a musician? Like, who do you listen to when you're um, dancing and, and frolicking in Ireland? Like, yeah. Yeah. what inspired well, actually, Yeah. Well, I mean, just just short answer. In the last five years, I've been listening to wall to wall Madonna. I mean, <laughs> of course I mean, you just, have. And, and I can tell you my kitchen is, the floor is, you know, kind of a shine now because of dancing while cooking. Good. And I think my cooking got better while listening to her. But <laughs> um, now, now that I'm not listening to Madonna, I'm taking a break from her. I'm listening to opera. And that's a really great because I can't dance, but I can swell, you know, yeah. so it's a different kind of thing. But when I was growing up, I was a, 
I, I'm three years older than Madonna. So I kind of could see the influences of those girls, girl groups and things, mm-hmm. you know, like leader of the pack and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But, um, I grew up in Minnesota, so I was a Bob Dylan girl. You know, I would mm. cut school with my best friend and we'd go to her basement list to Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell and those women songwriters. So I came out of that kind of lyric heavy tradition. Um, but, uh, but Madonna, the dancing, you know, the, the, the impulse to dance while listening to her to me is the thing I think that it really excites me. I mean, I think that's why I like confessions and that's why. You know, I, I mean, I love all of her, all of her albums except Hard Candy, but it was the dancing with Madonna that really got I me. love uh, that you hate Hard Candy. <laughs> I love I'm it. I'm sorry. Not, no, I, I love know. it. No, because because so many people would be like, you have an opinion and I love that you have a point of view on it. I that's... hate to say it because I think it's really disrespectful and I don't like, I you know, I really, when critics pan something, I think, oh, you asshole. But I, I have to say that. I feel like I can say I don't like that one because I love all the others. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think what you, you're you talking about too with the music is that there's something about Madonna's music where she captures his energy. And I, I think like with Into the Groove, like you, you know, thinking about, oh, that was recorded and you, there are the dogs barking and everything. It's yeah. like, it's all there. It's like the, right. it captures a moment in time that then you feel and translates. And that's mm-hmm. sort of the magic of her work, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she had all these, uh, you know, you mentioned Joni Mitchell. I know also Ricky Lee Jones, you mentioned mm-hmm. in the book and Christy Hind as artists she looks up to. Do you think that she still has music musicians that inspire her? That she's Oh, definitely. Her? And that's why, you know, I think it's so funny when people say, oh, she's out of the clubs. Well, you know, she's always been inspired by the clubs. You know, that's where she goes. That's her source material. It's like her grocery store. You know, that's where she goes shopping for inspiration. And so I, I am 100% sure that if, you know, when, when she was in Lisbon, she was inspired by all those photo guys and now she's back in new york and she's inspired by the clubs again so i she's she's never going to stop learning and listening and reading and watching and and it's always going to come out of her in a different way yeah um i was delighted by how much you love you gave to bedtime stories because uh you know it was uh we have had a lot of battles over bedtime stories i Um, came around you came around you came don't stop was a was a pillar it's a polarizing time (laughs) um and because it felt like such a real left turn for us at that time i remember when madonna was putting out uh, secret ha- was such a mellow groove. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think she's still capable of making that kind of swerve musically now? I think you've kind of answered this, but like, do you think that she could still do something completely out of the box? I think Madame X was completely out of the box. I mean, yeah. I, I absolutely love that album. I think it is fantastic. I wish more people could hear it because I think it is wild, exciting, fun, completely out of the box. And even after Rebel Heart, which I also liked a lot, though I know a lot of people don't, um, you know, that was kind of heading in that direction. But but Madame X was Madonna unchained. You know, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. And, you know, I would be really, I would love to hear what she has up her sleeve. You know, I, I mean, after this concert, hopefully she'll go back into the studio. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, it there will go longer. Our our show will last longer. We keep trying to find a way to end it. We were like, oh, Mary ended it twenty twenty. Can we? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, who do you think after over her whole career? And this is probably a hard question to answer, but who do you believe is her greatest collaborator? Mm. 
Boy, that is really tough. It's it's almost I would almost have to break it down by decade because like the photographers in her decades, yeah. you know, she has she has people she worked with in the eighties who really helped her tell her story best. And I would think that would be Pat Leonard and Steve Bray in the eighties, obviously. Uh in the nineties, uh, you know, I guess most people would say William Orbit because Ray of Light was so popular and, and I love him and I think, you know, he's great. But I kind of think, I mean, I think Shep Pettibone was really, I mean, that erotica yeah. album and Andre Betts, yeah. I mean, that sound, when you think about who she became later, what she did with those two guys actually kind of foretold where she was going in the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. And then in the 2000s, I think it's got to be, I mean, there she had a feast of people she worked with who were so wonderful. Mirways, Stuart Price, um, I guess that would, that's what I would, that's who I would yeah. say. And and then Diplo now, you know, I think that he's great for her. I think yeah. they really speak to each other. So interesting. Mm. Um, we talked about this a little earlier, but I, I just want to uh, break, uh, bring it up again. Um, because, you know, we have a, a, a wide diverse listenership and it's kind of wonderful um, to hear. We hear from people all over the world every day. Our listenership though remains gay men and uh, women. And what do you think the difference is now? Like, how do those groups exist together now? Because we're we're all still together. I'm thinking about the tour coming. We're all going to be thrown together again in a room. Like, what do you think is the difference between those two groups? As far as their appreciation of Madonna? Yeah. Or? And and what kind of role she plays in their kind of fan? I don't, you know, I think, I mean, I don't know if it's fair to say, but I almost feel like it's, nostalgic at this point, you know, yeah. that you love the new stuff she does and you want to see her and you want to see what she does next. I mean, the Madame X tour, aside from her, you know, injuries, I thought was fantastic, but I feel like it's almost, you know, she's, she's a past, she's a, she's a love that you had, you had when you were young and you have it now. And she reminds us all of, what we were and what we wanted to be. And maybe we did it, maybe we didn't do it, but you know, she's still there. So I think, I mean, it's not, when I say nostalgic, it's not to take anything away at all from the appreciation of her. I just think that maybe both groups share that same feeling. That's wonderful. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Some last minute quick fire. Cause we know we're, we're running on yeah. time. <laughs> um, what's your favorite song? Oh, that's impossible. And what is your mo what do you think is the most important song? Oh dear. Of the of the two. <laughs> so your personal favorite, like, and it can be it can be I'm going bananas if you want it to be. Uh I, I honestly, I mean, I would love to be able to answer that, but once again, I would have to almost go album by album. There's just not <sighs> there's not one Madonna song. I can tell you what album I listen to when I feel like I want to listen to Madonna and it is bedtime stories. I have to tell you that. Isn't that odd? That's so yeah. awesome. I know. I used to think it would, I mean, I listened to bedtime stories and I listened to Madame X and I listened to erotica, really those three, mm. but uh, I mean, I love, okay, let's talk about erotica. I love where life begins. Mm. That is so naughty and so fun. I mean, it is Madonna 
pure Madonna. You know, <laughs> she's having a great time. She's giving us all a lesson. Yes. And and it's really <laughs> fun. I love it. And it's a good song. Um, so and she and she knows she knows she's rocking it oh, too. She's, There's a yeah, confidence exactly. to it. Exactly. I mean, and her, her sense of humor comes out in that, which right. we don't get that often yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Bedtime mm-hmm. stories. The the whole thing I really love. Um, uh, and then uh, Madame X. You know, God Control. I, I just think is fantastic. I, I think it's an absolutely spectacular song. So. I think the where life important. begins should be Mary yeah. Gabriel's favorite maybe, song. Maybe, 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 which is really uh, it says all kinds of things about me. But, but um, and we're here for the Mary. Oh, we're good, here thank for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but um, as far as your most important song, maybe for her career-wise, the most important song. I mean, you could say something like "Holiday" or whatever, because it kicked it all off. But maybe, maybe the one that launched her into her mature career would be like a prayer, you know, yeah. because that, that was her statement that was, okay, I'm not a pop star. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm something much greater than that. So maybe, maybe that's, maybe yeah. that's it. But. Um, okay. Last question. I think, I think, I think so. so. Sadly. Um, so we always talk about um we have we, I, i'm very clear that i have no interest in meeting madonna like i'm i'm terrified of the idea yeah. plus i i just like having a critical distance i like looking yeah. from a distance and i've been in rooms close to her but i never wanted to talk to her um i don't know how exactly how you feel um but i'm wondering for you like have you met madonna or would you ever want to meet madonna or yeah 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 no i've never met her um and i I would love to meet her, you know, just to tell her that I appreciate her. But, um, but I don't think that it's something that it's not, you know, I don't think about it or don't plot yeah. ways to do it. And, and I actually don't, this is a, I, I, I don't know if I want, you know, Ed, like you, I, it's kind of scary, you know, how would I change? How would my opinion of her change? I have a, such a fixed opinion because, you know, a biography is, it's as much a reflection of the person you're writing about as the person doing the writing. You know, it's basically my portrait of Madonna. If you wrote your Madonna book, it would be completely different and it would be just as valid, but it'd be completely just so. So I've painted my portrait of Madonna. And now if I saw the real thing, could I look at my portrait in the same way? So it's a little Mm -hmm. bit of a scary prospect, but I would, of course I would love to meet her. Well, we are so um, grateful that your portrait of Madonna is is heading out into the world this fall. Uh, I I you know when when someone told you know I knew that it was coming out and I was like eight hundred pages ooh goody goody and then I got it I'm like eight hundred pages oh my god but it is such a brilliant book and it tells so much about the history of feminism and our culture over the last forty years and. Um, you're, it's just a remarkable, remarkable achievement. And we we are so happy that we got an opportunity to celebrate it with you. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. And what I'll do is send you those 700 pages I cut. <gasps> oh, great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know where they are. <laughs> oh my anyway. God. Was there something shocking in that 700 bit that you, was there some, what was, what's the thing, we may cut this, but like, yeah. what's yeah. the thing that you, um, were most regretful you had to cut? Well, you know, I, I have a tendency to talk about the people she works with quite a bit because I think we yeah. need to know who is influencing her and what their background yeah. is. So a lot of that was cut, unfortunately, and that mm. I, I didn't, I wish that it hadn't been. 
And there were, you know, events in her life that weren't major, but I was interested, you know, I, I, I'm, I never make small meals. I always make Thanksgiving dinners. So, so that's, you know, so I made a Thanksgiving dinner with Madonna and we cut it down to a normal supper. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm satiated. I'm absolutely okay, good. full. Yeah, it was fantastic. Good. Good. Thank, thank, thank you, you both so, so much. much. Thank it's been you. wonderful talking to you. Bye. Yes, a pleasure. Bye. 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 Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> Mark, that was amazing. <laughs> She's amazing. Oh, amazing. I could have, I mean, we spent a good amount of time talking and I could have gone on and on. I mean, what a joy. If anybody enjoyed this conversation as much as we did, they should pick up a copy of a Rebel Madonna, A Rebel Life that comes out in October on from Little Brown at bookstores everywhere. Yes. So good. So good. I'm going to read it again and again. Where Life Begins is her favorite song. I love that. This is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> um, so I hope we get to see her at Celebration. I hope so, too. I, I hope, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure she'll be. I hope so. Till next time. Bye.